Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. I am Leslie Harris and I love to play in the dirt. Our plant of the week makes me think of a party. We'll be chatting with Erin Shannon, the impatient gardener. And there isn't even a topic. It's just anything and everything. We jump around impatiently from one garden fun thing to the next. And lastly, our playlist will include how to play in your garden this week. I certainly played in mine this past week. So many annuals and tatty perennials just cut down and hauled away to the compost pile. And then little tiny violas and pansies were stuffed into the front path. Speaking of impatience, I usually have gone for six-inch pansies and violas, P's and V's, as we call them (laughs) in the biz. And this fall, I bought flats. So, you know, those little itty-bitty plants, you know, not not six-inch, like one-inch. And I'm sticking them in, and I can really not even see them. I'm concerned. Will they grow? Will they bring me as much joy? Did I save some money? Yes. Yes, I did. Was it worth it? I don't know. I'll let you know. Sometimes instant gratification is more fun. (sighs) But we'll see. We're pretty much at the height of fall color around here in Charlottesville as I record this. Uh, And there's a plant that we're seeing that I would love to talk about for a moment that might be giving you joy, but that's because you don't know much about it. It is not a good one, but we need to talk about it. It is called the Euonymus elatus. Some people call it the burning bush. And it is from Asia, but unlike some of my lovelies from Asia, it is absolutely invasive. It's called elatus because, you know, elata, that means... Um, and La- I think that's in Latin, it's a similar word in Spanish, ala is wing. So it's, it's winged. And so if they really have kind of cool branches, the newer ones have these kind of ridges poking out that makes it look like, well, sort of like wings. But no matter how cool the color is in fall, and if you see it, I mean, when, when we call it a burning bush, you're like, oh my gosh, if you saw that color on like a paint chip, you'd be like, yeah, but that is not a color found in nature. And it is. But it shouldn't be found in nature so much because this is a total, total invasive and it's really clogging up our forests and byways. It can grow anywhere, everywhere, wet, dry. And although birds do eat the seeds, that's actually only adding to the problem because they're spreading it everywhere. And it is not, it's, it's crowding out our native plants. It's displacing our native plants. Let me quote from the Center for Invasive Species and Ecosystem Health. It threatens a variety of habitats, including forests, coastal scrublands, and prairies where it forms dense thickets, displacing many woody and herbaceous plant species. Hundreds of seedlings are often found below the parent plant in what is termed as a seed shadow. So it's, it's just a really bad plant, the burning bush. And you know what the saddest part is? So here's why I wanted you to know about it. It's actually still sold in nurseries. So remember that you as a purchaser, a plant purchaser, a plant gardener, a nursery visitor, you have more power than you think. Um, and you might just want to, not in a rude way, um, but if you see one being sold, you might just want to contact whoever's in charge and just say, hey, you know, so this one is a really bad plant for, you know, our, our native woodlands. And I'm wondering if maybe you might want to rethink that because it just might be a matter of ignorance, although people running nurseries should know better. But I'm hopeful that maybe you know better now. If you have it growing in your yard, and if you do, it will have turned or it will be turning a beautiful, brilliant flame red color, almost pinky red. Please do away with it. It's a really bad one. You want to miss Get out us. We want you out of here. So now let's talk about a good one. Let's talk about the fall fiesta. This is the Acer Saccharum, or I would have said Saccharum, but oh well. 
um, Sakerum is what I'm hearing. And it's the fall fiesta. The true cult of our name is Bailsta, Bailsta, B-A-I-L-S-T-A. It looks like Bailar wants to be in there. You know, Bailar en una fiesta, vamos. Um, we're having a party here, so let's let's dance. It's native to North America, so this is a regular old sugar native, but it's a cultivar that makes the peeper's heart beat a little faster. It grows 60 to 70 feet tall, probably about 40 feet wide. So if you want to plant it in your yard, choose carefully. And it grows fast. Um, it doesn't grow fast forever. Some plants, some big trees that grow fast, they, they lack a little bit of sturdiness. But apparently this one is sturdy, a fast growing, and then it settles down after its adventurous youth. Um, but do, you know, it's a big tree. So you do want to place it carefully, unless you're moving and just don't care. <laughs> Just don't care about the next people. Enjoy it yourself. It grows in zones three through eight. So basically every everywhere in the United States, except for the very bottom of Florida or Texas or Cali, um, it doesn't just go orange. It doesn't just go red. It doesn't just go yellow. It turns all three. So it's one of those really wonderful ones. Nice glossy leaves in the spring and summer. And it's a great shade tree. Doesn't need any special soil nor water after after being established. It wouldn't it wouldn't tolerate like totally moist soil. Um, it wants sun, but it can take shade. You know, it grows in forests. But how about a show-stopping fall specimen in your garden, not a forest? So this is the sugar maple fall fiesta. I mean, party on Wayne. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, and I am impatient to talk with Aaron Shannon, the impatient gardener. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We're chatting with Aaron Shannon, the impatient gardener. Um, all about gardening. We actually don't have a, a true topic here today because we're just impatient to talk about gardening. So, Erin, welcome. And tell me what makes you so impatient. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's lovely to talk gardening. I love talking gardening anytime I have the ability to do that. So uh, what makes me impatient is that when I first started gardening, I just wanted it all done. I just wanted, I you know, when you design a garden or when you envision a garden, you envision what it looks like three years, four years, 10 years down the road. So that I was just always striving to get to that place. Now, of course, I have learned some lessons along the way and understand now that the journey is the fun, really. But um, I still I still do appreciate kind of getting there and, and uh, just just having things hurry up and grow already. Yeah, I have that kind of get her done attitude in most things in life. And so you sort of have to like I literally have benches all around this yard that I never sit in, but I know that I should and I could, but you know, there are things to do. And also that we need to keep in mind that um, if we were finished, then we would be sad. We'd have to take up something else. By the way, I know that you are also an avid sailor, right? And that's your kind of real job. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm the editor of a sailing magazine. So that's my nine to five. Um, but you know, I'm the most fortunate person in the world to um, be able to work in the two things that I am most passionate about, which is, you know, sailing and gardening. I mean, how lucky can a person be to have two passions and be able to make both their careers? Yeah. And all outdoors. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I do need to find some winter hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's it like in, uh, you're in Wisconsin, right? In Wisconsin. Yep. Southeastern Wisconsin. So tell us a little bit about your garden. How big is your plot and what do you like to do there? What, what's, what's your garden like? So we live on an acre and a third, about a third of that, maybe a third to a half is um, a wooded area, which is, which is lovely. We are probably 500 feet from the shore of Lake Michigan, although we are not 
we're not beachfront, but we are very the beach. So our climate here is entirely dictated by Lake Michigan. Um, which means that um, I have a bit of a microclimate here. Technically, we're zone 5B. Um, it can get much colder than what a zone 5B temperature should be. So it's a, it's a rough guide. But what is interesting is that we have very late falls. I mean, I have a warm fall that goes well into it because the lake, like Lake Michigan right now is still 59 degrees. Oh. So anytime we have a wind that's got any amount of east in it, it's close to the lake temperature here. Um, so, um, but that means that in the opposite side of that coin is that it's very slow to warm up in spring. So we have very short, frustratingly cold springs here. So <laughs> not good for an impatient gardener. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, and we get, um, you know, we get, uh, you know, a good amount of snow if we're lucky. I mean, it's not that I enjoy the snow, but it's snow is great for the garden. So if we're lucky, we have, and on whatever an average winter is now, which is a, obviously a moving target, we'll have a good amount of snow cover and, um, you know, hopefully avoid like a polar vortex or one of those real plant killers. Yeah. Yeah. But if, yeah, if you do have that late, uh, that blanket of insulation of snow, it's a little bit better. Um, so what draws you to gardening that, before I actually, before you answer that, I just want to tell our listeners that Erin has an amazing blog and it's the impatientgardener.com. And also she is big on YouTube and Instagram and other social platforms. I'm also, yeah, I'm also on Facebook as well. Okay. All right. So if you want to, after, after you listen to this interview, you're going to be intrigued and want to get to know more. And she's, she's really documented a lot of wonderful things. I was mesmerized this morning by watching you twist grasses of little blue stem into something beautiful. I was like, that is so cool. I am immediately going to do that. It doesn't look easy. I mean... It's so, it's so easy. It was a little trick that I just was taught. And I'm like, I, why did it take me so long to figure that out to twist grasses? But so it's like you had this, let's describe it for them because it's very cool. You had this big, like a handful of grasses and it could be anything like miscanthus um, inflorescences or whatever it is. And you just put it. And, yep, It's a bundle and it's all held together with a cable tie. Okay. And then, so it's all in a tube basically. And you basically grab above and below the cable tie and you twist one hand one way and the other hand, the other way. And all of a sudden it fans out and <gasps> magic perfect fan shape. Yeah. And then she put kales and pumpkins at the bottom of it, but anyway, already off target. Um, where, where were we? <laughs> um, let's talk about what, uh, what has drawn you to gardening? What makes you like it so much? You know, I like the ability. I'm one of those people. I'm not particularly, I'll never be an artist. I'll never go paint something much as I might've tried. Um, for me, gardening is sort of an art form. I mean, it's a way to create something that is all, frankly, it's all me. It's one of the few things where I think home gardeners can create a space. That's all them. Nothing, nothing tells them other than, you know, their conditions is the only real limit you have there. And even that you can work around, but it is a way to create some beauty that you love. Uh, in an area that is all about you and you can make it whatever you want to be. And for me, that's, that's the biggest thing. Of course, as I've gardened more, I've, I've got this sort of insatiable urge to learn more about plants. I mean, I think um, lifelong learning activities are the things that keep us interested. Once you've mastered a skill, some of the joy kind of comes out of it. Cause once you know everything there is to know, like, why are you still doing this? We all know with gardening, there there is none of that. You never know it all. There are always new things to learn. Um, frankly, the science is changing 
all the time too. All so the there time. are new things to learn from that, but also there are new plants to discover and new designs to discover and a new perspective to discover. And I just find it to be absolutely fascinating and sort of something I like to immerse myself in. Not to mention you're outside and it's a very peaceful atmosphere. So I've seen nothing, nothing wrong with it, except maybe some of the not so fun parts aren't always great. But other than that, right. Uh, plants die or weeds get the better view or whatever, or just right. covered with muck, which actually not only do I not mind being covered in mud, but it's they speaking of science that's changing and evolving. We're finding out that that is actually quite good for you. It's not just that silly, strange, wonderful feeling that crazy people like you and me get. It's good for everybody. Right. Absolutely. So my dirty, uh, dirt covered hands are, I'm like, Oh, look at me. Uh, this is good for me. Yeah. How are your nails? Are they good? Oh gosh. No, no, yeah. no. I don't I'm have any. I would be too embarrassed to go to uh, like get a manicure or something because it's so, it's such a wretched situation. So I do go, I do go for the petty because I love flip flops and I basically sit on my hands the whole time. So they won't see and be tempted. to go. Oh God, what's going on here? Right. Um, All right. This is into the garden with Leslie on news radio WINA. And we're talking with Erin, the impatient gardener. Her garden is in Wisconsin. And I was beginning to ask her about it. Um, We've got some, a little over an acre and some woodland. Now, do you garden the whole plot? It's interesting that in England, the whole yard is the garden and I kind of, my whole yard is my garden, but do you garden everywhere? Do you have a little woodland bed and veg and everything? We have, I have a wide array of types of gardens, but we do have, you know, kind of larger grassy areas as well. We've got two big dogs, so it's important for us to have places for them to run around. Um, But I have a very large ornamental perennial garden several areas of that. Um, I have a vegetable, a very nice, lovely, uh, relatively new uh, fenced in raised bed vegetable garden that we built in 2018. And it's like my dream vegetable garden. And so I do a little bit of everything all over the place. In uh, 2020, I actually made a new large area of the yard into sort of a naturalistic garden. And uh, that's a big departure for me in terms of garden style, but I've had so much fun learning about that. And it's kind of exploring that whole world. So all of my gardens are fairly different. I would say, generally speaking, you might describe my garden as sort of modern cottage style, but there are different areas that have a different feel to them. And I sort of feel like life is too short to just have one garden style. Like I just, I just can't imagine sticking to one sort of theme or specific, very specific garden style on a at least on a piece of property as big as I'm lucky enough to have. So I like to play around with different ideas and different concepts. And you know, through that, I feel myself sort of evolving a little bit. My garden style is defi- definitely evolving throughout the well, year. Well, tell us about the newest one, the, the naturalistic garden from 2020. Can you name some of the plants or, or the design elements that attracted you to, to do such a thing? So this was a garden um, that I made out of an area that had been for many it's kind of a longer driveway and it's out by out by the road and for many years it had been a sort of natural area with a very large ash tree that was kind of the main feature in it and um of course we have horrible problems here in wisconsin as many other places do with emerald ash borer and we have lost basically all our ash trees including that one so when that ash tree had to come down that whole area quickly became just full of weeds or sort of invasive 
species. And uh, there was a there was a ton of Canadian goldenrod mm-hmm. there, which is beautiful, but can absolutely take over like nobody's business. Right. So um, I wanted to go in there and keep that natural feel. And so I went, but I wanted a couple of things. I wanted low maintenance. I wanted has to be deer resistant because we do have a lot of deer here. And the farther you get from the house, the more the deer are a problem. So those were my two main criterias for plants over there. So I planted, um, I mean, there's all sorts of things over there. It's a big enough area to pack a lot in, but um, I got some Verona Castrum in there, um, a beautiful one called Queen of Diamonds. I'm lucky enough to be located pretty close to Brent Horvath, who is a plant breeder in Illinois. Um, so a lot, so about once a year, I go down there and sort of check out what new things he's got. And that is one of his introductions. Um, I've got it in there, uh, a Eupatorium called Polished Brass, which is just uh, first year growing that one for me. And it's a s- absolute stunner covered in monarchs at the end of the year. It was just amazing. That's another Brent plant. And then I've got things like great big swaths of geranium macrorhizum, which is one of my go-to plants because it is such a good doer. You can stick it in almost any situation and it does well. I've got um, Persicaria called Golden Arrow over there. And then some of the shadier areas, I did a lot of Carex. I'm trying to create sort of a a Carex matrix over there. Underneath, there's a big oak tree over there as well. Do you do any of the brown Carexes, um, like the um, Carex Buchanii, that type of thing? Do you go toward those hues? Because it sounds, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. And I didn't use any of those. I primarily went with um, Carex Pennsylvanica. And then I did do um, Carex Flocka Blue Zinger, which is, I know, a little bit controversial now because um, some places have actually stopped selling that because it can be, can be a little bit invasive. Um, I actually got real nervous about that because I planted like, you know, 32 of them or something. And I got real nervous when I started reading more. And I actually talked to Roy Diblett, who, again, I'm fortunate to be located near a plant designer um, or garden designer, uh, Roy Diblett. And I talked to him about it. And he said, as long as you have it in a shady spot up by us, he said, you don't have to worry. It's not it's not going to go crazy in our area. He said he still uses it in his designs in carefully spotted areas. So I felt a little bit better about that. And it really is a beautiful plant, but it's always one when I talk about it in a video or on the blog, that I've got a big asterisk next to it that says, (laughs) caution, be careful. Think about what you're getting yourself into with this plant, because in some places this could be, or in some sites, it could be a real issue. But it's not too difficult to edit. I mean, you can't just rip it out. You got to get your soil knife, but it's it's really pretty easy, right? Yeah. I mean, I actually haven't had to dig any out yet, but I, I, when I look at it, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, I can't imagine it would be that difficult to to pull out. No, no, I've, I've spread it around and I've actually put, um, added it to, because where I want it is just, just, you know, where I want it. And then it goes out of bounds. And then I, I'm, I'm putting, um, I've put it into containers. It looks great with like a dark blue, sorry, a dark red coleus um, or some pansies because it keeps pretty well, you know, it's decently behaved all winter long. So I, I throw it around here and there. It's a great plant. I love that idea of putting it in a container. That's a great idea. That's a oh, wonderful God. idea. Love it. Yeah. An idea. This is awesome. This is into the garden with Leslie on news radio WINA. And we're talking with Aaron Shannon, the impatient gardener about, Hey, gardening. So we were just talking about your naturalistic and two things impressed me about this new garden. First of all, that without warning you in any way, you remembered like many plants, which I would have remembered like three and come up with the eight more later. Um, But secondly, that, that they're all kind of low. So it's kind of a meadow look. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And I do have some taller grasses, like some big blue stem 
popping up through there. I think probably that is the thing that I need to work on as this sort of develops is I feel like I need a little bit more height in some areas. Yep. So what I did was I planted in really big swaths in here. Um, like I think I planted 25 cat's pajamas nepeta in one oh, area, wow. which by the way is absolutely stunning. And I really do like that nepeta a lot. So I really plant, like we are talking, we're not talking threes, five, sevens. We're talking like 20. <laughs> of something. <laughs> so I planted because I had a lot of area to cover and I was very, I just didn't want it to get busy. I wanted it to be repetitive, but so there's a lot of editing that still needs to happen. And there are definitely some areas when I look at where I know that I need to go back and uh, as I edit, we'll be, I'll be finding ways to work some more height in there. Okay. All right. Any shrubs or you think you'll keep it all herbaceous? I do have some shrubs in there and it's, it's, um, I have a, um, cornus moss in there. That's the Cornelian cherry dogwood, um, which I'm really looking forward to watching, to watching that grow. And I have a couple evergreen shrubs in there. I do have some evergreen, um, popped throughout and I will probably, I mean, more and more and more, I rely on shrubs in a lot of places. So in time, there could be some more shrubs added to that as well. Okay. So that's very naturalistic. What would you, do you have a part of your garden that's like the most formal, like near the front door or something like that? Yeah, I, I do. I have this, what I always call the circle garden. It is an oval shape, but there's no ring to calling something the oval garden. It, it was uh, when we bought our house almost 20 years ago, it had clearly been an old vegetable patch right by the front door that had been, you know, over the years had not been used and had just sort of gone into weeds. And so I made the circle outline a few years into owning the house. And that garden has gone through several iterations. Originally, I did use it as a vegetable garden. And then it changed into kind of a mix of a vegetable garden. And then a few years later, I, I sort of divided it into very formal segments. Oh. And now I have this weird thing there where I plant, I've got little um, boxwood balls in pots in each, in each of four sections. And then I plant each of those sections in a mass, in like two or three mass plantings. And there is no rhyme or reason. Like, I can't tell anybody why I do this. I just kind of find it fun to play around with this concept of a little bit of formality because nothing else about my garden is formal. I have a, oh, and then I have a chive hedge around each section, which I, which is um, really a fun way, fun and inexpensive way to do a little bit of an outline in kind of a formal garden. And so what I do is I play around it every year. I sort of design certain areas. I've got some, like I've got a, a section that's all bobo hydrangeas in there. And I actually keep my rhubarb in there because I think rhubarb is a beautiful plant. I do eat it, but I love growing it um, just for ornamental purposes. And I've got a little section with roses, but almost everything else gets sort of changed around every year so that I can mass plant a particular annual in each area. Um, and it's just one of those kind of corny things that I do, but it's my way of playing around with formality because although I'm not necessarily don't lean that way style wise. It's fun to dabble in that a little bit. It definitely is. And when you look at photographs of the, you know, I'm much older than you, but the way I learned how to garden, or I thought one should garden back in those days was looking at very formal landscapes. And although, first of all, this body is not going to let me do that forever, bending (laughs) bending over, I'm just not going to do it. Um, But, and I'm so glad that trends are moving away from that, but I still love that look. And so it's fun to have those you know, just, just some elements that are very formal. I have to ask you about the chive hedge because I tried that once in a little herb garden that I had up in Connecticut and they just never behaved in that little road that I put them in. How do you make them behave? 
you know, um, what I do is I, uh, first of all, I cut them back shortly after they flower so that we don't have any reseeding. So I get rid of those flowers before they have a chance to reseed. So I eliminate the reseeding issue that way. And in terms of spreading out, what I do is I'm constantly, once a year in spring, I'll go through and just kind of tidy up that edge. Sometimes I need to fill in a little area over here. So I'll lop off a little bit from some area and move it over there. But really it's not been, I've never had an issue with it. And the whole hedge came from two plants, uh, two, two plants that I grabbed from my mom's garden years ago and just kind of gradually divided over the years. And then, um, maybe three years ago or four years ago, I divided them into very small clumps to build, to finish the hedge. I'm like, we got to get this thing wrapped up. And, uh, and that was it. So I never spent a penny on the plants for that hedge. And I chopped them back, fully cut them back um, twice a year. So I have three fresh growths of chives every year. Oh, wow. That sounds so cool. Tell me this um, before we, we don't have too much time left, but I'd love to know. And for my listeners to know, what is your, from the photographs I've seen and the things that you put online, you have a good awareness of native plants, but you don't seem to be a slave to the idea of native plants. What's your, what's your um, theory on planting native? I love that. I love this question. Cause I know it can be kind of a, it can be kind of a hot button issue. So I am not a person who personally believes that, that a good garden has to have native plants. I think a good garden will incorporate native plants or what they call native ours often. And I have lots of native ours, which is a cultivar of a native plant um, in the garden. My theory on this is, is that any garden does so much more for the benefit to benefit the environment than any patch of grass ever will. So plant something you like, and it's already a million times better. But there are some really nice things about bringing in native plants that can be very nice, especially when it comes to attracting wildlife to your garden. So I tend to go for, I mean, honestly, I, I start with the right plant for the right place and the kind of look I'm going for. And if there's an appropriate native that fits into that area, then I'll go with that. But I am a too much of a plant lover to limit myself to say, I'm only going to grow native plants. I love experimenting with plants. And a lot of those are just not natives. I yeah. just, I, I like being sort of a um, playing around with plants and, and challenging myself to see if I can grow them. Yeah. I think, I, you know what, I didn't have you on because we see this absolutely eye to eye. My regular listeners will know that it's a struggle for me. I want to be more native than I am, um, but I certainly talk about it almost every episode and I encourage it, but I'm just never not going to have those non-natives in my yard. I'm having too much fun. Right. Exactly. And I, and like I said, I, I, still think that anything you can do in a garden is always going to be better. Doesn't it's a million times better than that. I mean, a garden full of non-native plants is a million times better than a patch of lawn. Yeah, absolutely. Erin, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. So much fun. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Oh, good. Me too. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We'll be back in a few minutes to listen to the playlist, which is what to do in your garden right now and maybe what to listen to while you are out there. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And now it's time for the playlist How to Play in Your Garden This Week. I love talking to Erin. We really enjoyed that chat and I want to have her back again but we sort of wandered on this one. So if you follow her or if you begin to follow her and you get a specific topic in your head that you think that she could help us all with, then please let me know. I put links to her website and her YouTube channel on the blog this week. And on Instagram and Facebook, she is the Impatient Gardener. 
she has such a great attitude, which is to say it's like my attitude. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it's not too serious. It's like, let's get things done. Let's have fun um, and learn how to garden. I mean, I, I like her attitude. When I edited the podcast, I realized that I pronounced the name of a carex wrong. Oh, dear. Oh, dear me. So it's that lovely brown one that I call Buchanii, but it's actually Buchananii, like Buchanan II. It's a small point, but for those of you who knew the correct pronunciation, knew that I had mangled it, and then maybe had a slight facial twitch as a result, and you know who you are, I hope that makes you feel better. And by the way, I am totally one of those twitchers, but I really try to hide it. It's not so much pronunciation that gets me, it's the grammar thing. I'm really bad. I want to help people. I mean, I was a Spanish teacher for many years, and if you teach a foreign language, you really have to know English grammar very well, too, or else you're not going to be able to teach any foreign language grammar. But I don't correct anybody's grammar unless, if I did, they would love me anyway, and that makes the list extremely short, like maybe just the dog. But I really want to. If you're the same way and you've read Eats, Shoots, and Leaves by Lynn Truss more than once, hey, guilty like me. But you got to let these things go because my son pointed out to me long ago, you can either correct people's grammar or you can have friends. But back to pronunciation, all sorts are welcome. I say Cleomy, you might say Cleomy. I say Clematis, you might say Clematis or Clematis. It's all accepted, so you never have to worry about that. Buchananii indicated that I lost an entire syllable, so that actually was wrong. Questions from listeners. So I threw an outtake from an old video that I did for the UVA clubs back in the times. Um, UVA is my alma mater. They were looking for things to do because they couldn't have parties. And they filmed me, well, they had Jeff film me, and they edited up a couple of cool videos that are actually now on YouTube. I'll put links in the show notes if you want to have a look, if you're truly bored. One of them was actually wonderful about this time of year. And then the other one was from spring when we were really wondering if we'd ever be able to see people again. Why did I bring this up? Oh, yes. So there was an outtake from it on Instagram. And I was unsuccessfully trying to divide this uh, still be. I really kind of, it, it defeated me. So on the comments on this post, I got one from Kim, which I really appreciate, Kimbalaya, um, what a cute name, on Instagram. And she said, so I tried dividing perennials, and I found out that it wasn't too easy. <laughs> and I didn't even know that you could use a knife. Oh my gosh, I am so pleased, Kimbalaya, that you tried it. And I'm so sorry that I wasn't more down to basics on the how-tos. So what you want to do is you want to see that nice chunky perennial that you want to divide, that you want to go shopping for right in your own yard, and you want to dig it up. But there are some that are much easier on others. I have two that you might not even want to try. One of them is the great taprooted baptisia, lovely plant, but not easy to divide. And the other is amsonia or blue star, just so woody, a root system, incredibly difficult. And I didn't know that for a while. Estilbe, that Estilbe on Instagram gave me trouble. But in general, you can sort of have it in your hands and like break off a third of it. And it can be pretty easy. Sometimes perennials, you dig them up and they kind of fall apart in your hands, like you know, geraniums or sweet woodruff, the uh, the gallium odoratum, or as some people pronounce it, the gallium odoratum. Um, but that, you know, you get that root system and you're like, okay, I could just, you know, I could take these apart almost one by one. So what you do with those is you just organize the roots because they've all probably gotten jumbled up in your hand and you get them all going in the right direction and you get the plant back in the ground where you want it to. If you dig up a, a piece of a perennial that you just can't separate with your hands, 
Yes, you can use a serrated edge of a soil knife and just slice away. And just for a rough idea, if it's a clump of something about as big as a pie, well, you could have eight pieces of pie, but that's a lot of surgery and it would make small pieces of pie. Um, and I always go back for a second. So it might be more fun to have three super chunky pieces of pie. And like I said in that video, a common thing that I do that's really fast is I've dug the hole, the perennials come out, I've divided it, I put one third of it right back in that hole, and then I take the other two and I either put them nearby because I like a bigger picture of that same perennial, or I find another place to put them, or I might give them to a friend if I were feeling particularly magnanimous in the moment. Um, and then, okay, so it doesn't it doesn't work with the doesn't work with your hands, doesn't work with the soil knife. You have a shovel, and you sort of go pogo stick with the shovel. You know, you place your shovel carefully, and then you put your foot on one side, and and you try to just use your foot. But I have been known to jump up and down like a pogo stick to get a perennial to divide because that's how much I want that to happen. I, one time, and, and you know, on some of the really terrible ones like the miscanthus, which by the way, is not a great plant, but I love it. Um, it's an alien invasive ornamental grass. But it, you know, I've heard people like they say they take chainsaws to divide them. One time I was visiting, I was doing a consultation and it was for somebody that I know pretty well now. Her name is um, Deb and she lives here in town. And I said, oh, you just take that. Yeah, you just take that Amsonia and you dig it up and you divide it. Got the shovel, dug it up. Not one foot, not pogo stick, nothing would make that thing divide. And I was so embarrassed, like imposter syndrome. Like, really, I do know what I'm doing. I, I, I do know how to divide perennials, but not that one. So I do not recommend starting with Amsonia or Blue Star. Kim, thank you for the great comment. It's really good to get me back to basics um, or to push me farther. I mean, I really like to talk about all levels of gardening. Deborah from Central Mississippi sent a photograph of some lovely iron urns that are in front of her house. She wondered if bulbs would be too cold if she planted them in there. Well, it turns out that they might not be cold enough. Bulbs need to get chilly for quite a few weeks. They need to go dormant before the warm temperatures cue them to wake up and get rolling. They need really chilly, like in the 40s type of thing, um, for 6 to 12 weeks. So according to an article that I sent Deb, she really might need to use the refrigerator method and get them really cold. It's hard to imagine bulbs getting too cold. And depending on where you are, you don't need to chill them. But 8B, yeah, you might need to. Deb, also another thing that I didn't write back to you in the email is you might want to find some friends where you live who are good and experienced gardeners, and they'll know better than I do because I've never lived that far south. Let's talk about planting a tree for a moment. It's a great time of year to plant a tree. Why is it so good now? The same reason that dividing and moving perennials is good now or planting anything is good now, because the nights are cool, the rain is more abundant, and the soil is still pretty warm. Smaller is better for planting trees. I know it's tempting to go with the instant gratification, huge caliper, huge budget um, tree. But if you go for a small one, even a bare root one, you're going to see some wonderful progress yourself as it comes from a little baby. If you bought something in a pot, make sure you examine the roots. You might want to even expose the roots. Roots can accidentally wrap around the future trunk, well, the, the current trunk, but what's going to be a really big trunk of a tree. And as everything grows, it all gets squeezed. And that cambrium layer of where you know, right on the outside, right under the bark is where the tree gets its nutrition. So you want to make sure that there's no root that's going to like strangle that in the future. Get your roots all pointed outwards. You want to dig a hole that's at least two to three times as wide as your root ball. And don't do the thing that I like to do, which is like, 
Oh, well, I can fold this root and it will fit inside my hole because I have finished digging. I am tired. Try to make it as wide as you can, but you don't want to make it as deep as you can. You want to just make it so that when you plant it, the trunk will be exposed all the way to where it starts to flare out. And if it's a baby tree, it just barely flares out. But you know that look on a big mature tree where the trunk comes straight down and then before it goes into the ground, if it's healthy and not over mulched, it flares out. That's a really important part to be exposed because it's good air circulation for that, for that plant, for that tree. If you did go with a ball and burlap, um, make sure that you remove the twine, remove the metal, and remove as much burlap as you can. I've found that that just, that just does not decompose, and you want those roots to go searching for good soil as fast as they can. So planting a little bit too high is not great either, but it's much better than planting too low. But do plant a tree, and how about that one that I was talking about just a minute ago, our plant of the week, the sugar maple fall fiesta. I think that would be a great one to plant. What to do in the garden this week? Um, look for Euonymus salatus and do away with it. Also keep an eye out for spotted lanternfly, jumping worms. You have 007 status on all of these things. Remember, off with their heads. Divide and conquer your perennials, maybe with a little bit more confidence now. Kim, hoses are stowed, bulbs are planted. Enjoy the fall colors if you're getting there and your list of chores is going away. My lawn is keeping me busy. I really want, um, my husband enjoys a good lawn, so I'm keeping the leaves off of it. And that's getting me outside most every day or every other day now that they're really falling very quickly. Oh, the next step on compost. Well, you don't have to do anything at all. There is no call to action. Can you do that for me? Nothing at all? So this week, I actually did that last step that I talked about. It was time to empty my tumbler. So I was already all dirty. I took my little broken shovel and I filled up a couple of trugs. Um, so what was my kitchen scraps, all this mucky stuff with some Wall Street Journal mixed in, I took a pitchfork and made a couple of holes in one of my existing piles, and I dumped that in there, and then I covered it up. So where that stuff will be all winter is inside this pile of leaves and weeds and plant trimmings, and it shouldn't summon any mammals to help with the process of decomposition. I did want to talk about what to do with mulch as it's mature, and now you have it and you want to use it. But I wouldn't do anything right now. I would just let it continue to cook. The best thing to do with mulch is to use it as a top dressing, but the leaves are coming down so fast, they can be your top dressing. They can be your mulch. If you have ready compost, simply dumping it and spreading it in and around your plants is the great thing to do, but it can wait for spring. What are you going to listen to this week? I kept it very, very simple with this. You ready? Autumn in New York Why does it seem so inviting Autumn in New York It spells the thrill of first nighting Glittering crowds and shimmering clouds in canyons of steel. Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald from 1934. And you know, I bet that was before they started having Christmas decorations up in September. Thanks so much for the reviews that you've been writing in for the podcast. Cindy Lou 111, back in July, she said, love Leslie's sense of humor as she shares her ideas on gardening. Thank you, Cindy Lou. And Kurt from Northwest Connecticut just this week said that he discovered the podcast. 
He liked the timely topics, admitting my mistakes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We love to admit the mistakes. I mean, that's part of the fun. So nice of you, Kurt. Thank you for taking the time to you and to everybody who has rated and reviewed the podcast. I do appreciate it. This was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out. I am Leslie Harris LH on Instagram or my website is lhgardens.com. I don't know if you've ever noticed that I'm sort of on Facebook, but I never go there. So if you ask me a question on Facebook, I will never see it. Facebook gives me the heebie-jeebies. I, I don't know why. I like Instagram. So what's my ask of you this week? I think one of the following things, tell a friend about the podcast, rate or review the podcast, or send me a question about your garden. You don't have to do all of those. Just one will do. I don't ask for too much, I hope. I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I am really into my garden and fall leaves and watching them come down and seeing them decompose and make my soil happy. And I want to get you into yours. I'll see you next week. <laughs>